Remember when you had boxes and boxes of family photos? Back when we used to send film off to be developed. The thing about pictures is their ability to capture something more than what's in the actual photo. That specific memory on the paper extends way past the 4 by 6 inches of the print. And then sometimes it doesn't, and there's hardly a memory to be had. Who's that in the picture? I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And in this episode of The Grand Life, we talk about the fourth sense in our series, Sight. This one is a little harder because it works on our memories in a different way than smell, taste, and hearing. We think when we see a photo that we remember things the way they are pictured. Or do we? First of all, thank you again for all your wonderful observations. There have been so many, and they continue to come in. We feel like we're getting to know you better, and that's all part of the reason we do this podcast. So thank you. And if you haven't participated, go to the Grand Life Podcast Facebook page and join in. We post every week about the episode topics that are ahead, or you can write to us at grandlifeconnection at gmail.com or call us and leave a voicemail at 317-572-7876. And when you do that, let us know that it's okay for us to use that audio in the show, and then maybe we'll give you a chance to hear yourself. You know, um, Mike and I have been purging our belongings, cleaning out so much stuff lately that we can't keep as we move. And you know, we've all been talking about the fact that we're moving. And one of the last things we're really putting off, we just don't want to do it, (laughs) is our media stuff, like our photos and CDs and all that. We haven't put it off forever. We have all these boxes of photo prints that they actually go back to before we even met. And a few years ago, we did start scanning them. We we stopped, however, because it, it was turning out that all of the work fell to you. Yeah, I didn't love that. It wasn't really fun, fun for me. You volunteered to do it because you had more time than I did at the moment. I know, but then grandchildren came, and what happened was we had no place to set up without grandchildren around that were, you know, they were throwing things around and... and right messing up with the boxes and stuff. It was just crazy. So we kind of gave up on that. And, you know, I have toyed with the idea of um, sending them off to get scanned. If any of you have had experience with that, write to me and let me know if it was a good one. So now we're kind of at a second level of, of activity commitment. Now what we're saying to each other is, well, we'll just thin down the number of prints by getting rid of all the landscapes. Right. <laughs> yeah, but what I realized is that some landscapes actually tell a story too. It's not like you can just go through and purge all of the landscape, you know, pictures that don't have any people in them. Because I had a friend who told me that. She was like, just get rid of all the pictures that don't have people in them. Well, that's easier for me than for you. It it seems like you do a good job of remembering stories around landscapes, but I don't. I can barely remember where a picture was taken if I didn't write it on the back of the print if there's no people in it or nothing to tell me what was happening. So I'm fine getting rid of those. (laughs) But I have memories of, I mean, when I see a picture of, um, I don't know, the White Mountains, uh, it brings back a memory of being in the White Mountains with my parents, uh, cooking steaks out on a Coleman stove by the brook, running around in the brook, cold water on my feet. I mean, all sorts of senses, even when I just look at that picture. And all it is is a picnic table and you know, a brook. We're going to talk about that phenomenon later in the episode. 
Now, from a time when I was working in the TV business, uh, I have these weird videotape formats that I wanted to try to get onto something common, and I did that. I got all these weird video formats onto VHS, Yay. which is, of course, now obsolete. Boo. So, <laughs> So we have this big digitizing project that's ahead of us at some we? point. Yes, well, uh, it may have to wait, though, until after we've relocated. So this is hard. I mean, we decide what parts of things we want to remember and then things that we remember. And that's kind of an interesting idea is that we have memories and they don't stay the same. They change over time. Any, any kind of historical event, those memories that we have change over time. Are you saying that memory is not a safe place for history? Absolutely. I mean, think about this. Do you remember the conversation we had one time with my mother where she insisted that she saw live TV of JFK when he was shot in 1963? Right. I remember? do remember that. She was and, adamant. <laughs> she was adamant that she had seen it. And there, and we kept and we, saying, there's no way you could have we, seen we it. We tried to explain to her. We, we acknowledged that there was this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was shot by an amateur, the only one to actually capture that event in some way. Mm -hmm. But it was years before anybody in the general public saw the Zapruder film, years after Kennedy was killed. Yeah, but all of us have seen that so many times now yeah. that many of us think we saw it. And of course, I was only, what, four years old at the time, so I'm not insisting that I saw that. But people who are older, they would insist that they saw it. Now, I was old enough to remember the World Trade Center, and interestingly enough, there was an article in the New York Times about the World Trade Center situation, and they talked about how something like 70% of people, when asked, believed that they saw live the first plane hit the tower. The first plane. The first plane. When there were no cameras pointed at the towers. Right. Right? Okay. Impossible. Well, you know, after the first one hit, I remember that you know, all the morning shows did point cameras at the towers, and many of them did capture live the second plane hitting the other tower. Right, and that's what people are confusing. Yeah, and that, then they have. There were some amateurs who had taken a pic, hadn't they? Taken a video. There was that. There was actually a filmmaker, a documentarian, who was shooting a, a documentary about the New York City Fire Department, and yeah. he caught the impact of the first plane on on videotape. But it wasn't live. So we all saw that. And we then remembered that our memory of that was that we saw that live. Yeah. And, you know, it's just such an interesting... Memory is such an interesting thing. I think back to a conversation I had with my sister uh, a week or so ago about um, the perspective. This is memory and perspective, which is another thing, too. Um, I was talking to my sister. We were still talking about the sense of smell uh, in the podcast. And she said, oh, I remember the smell of dad's jacket. It smelled like phenolic, which is a what a computer. It's a material that they make uh, uh, circuit boards out of. Yeah. And she said she remembered the smell of his jacket. And I said, oh, that's really funny because I remember that being the smell of his pants, which describe <laughs> my height and the her height. She, your was, height. Yeah. she was six years older than I was. So when she would hug him, she would smell, her memory is the smell of it 
you know, of his, of his, of jacket. his suit jacket and <laughs> yours of his suit <laughs> trousers. Suit trousers. So <laughs> this is so funny, <laughs> but it just shows you that memory is a matter of perspective as it's well. Subject to perspective. Yeah. yeah. Let's look at some of the memories our listeners gave when I asked them, when you see blank, I think of my grandparents. And again, we got so many great um, responses to that, and I love that you do this, but many of them still had to do with things you eat. Now, we often see things, these things, that we're going to talk about without tasting them, so I think they're talking about when they see these things, and if we do, we think of our grandparents. Butter mints, lemon drops, licorice cubes, Opera creams. Have you ever heard of opera creams? I've never heard of opera creams. Yeah, they're dark chocolates with a rich vanilla filling. And the person who wrote it said, maybe a Cincinnati thing. So maybe they were called opera creams only in Cincinnati. Okay. Which is kind of funny because Cincinnati is kind of a blue collar, you know, Well, today, but it was a cultural center 100 years ago. Oh, that's true. So I guess opera things make sense. Um, Opera creams. Um, Cakes. A specific yellow cake with chocolate icing, which you love, but oh, I don't know if you remember. hold me back. <laughs> yeah. And then pie. Anything homemade from scratch, if they see a homemade pie, they think of their grandparents. Now, others remember grandparents when they see these things in nature. Horses, wheat fields, and the undulating, the way. Yeah. yeah, that's a gorgeous and Image. memorable thing. Mm-hmm. Cows, the Rocky Mountains, high desert farmlands. Hmm. Cornfields, dairy cows, garden cosmos. Tell me what that is. It's a flower, I think. Got it. Yeah. Purple tulips and rose bushes. And finally, tools and transportation. Uh, freight train, or I think her grandfather was an engineer on a freight train. Airplanes, mechanical tools. Oh, wait. Last but not least, striped pants, ladies' gloves, and a crown royal felt bag that her grandmother kept her pennies in when she played cards. I know that felt bag. <laughs> it, a bottle of Crown Royal whiskey is sometimes purchased in that felt bag. Are they? Is it in the box when you buy it? Or yeah. It, okay, so yep. you don't actually see it until you get it out of the box. Right. Cool. Yeah, that's a very specific and very distinct memory. So how exactly do these sites take us back to something? How does memory work? Yeah, when we call up a memory of a moment in time... I kind of wonder if we're calling up something like a still photo. Is there a biological equivalent of a digital image that's uh, stored in a like a hard drive inside our heads? Or when we talk about an image being burned into our brains. Yeah. Is anything like that really going on? Well, apparently not, and here's why I say that. Uh, There's an episode of one of our, yours and mine, Mm -hmm. favorite public radio shows, Radiolab, from back in 2007. They did a whole hour on this very thing. It's called Memory and Forgetting, and we'll put a link in the show notes. They pointed out that the metaphor of some kind of biological digital photo stored on a hard drive in our heads is just not the way memory works. Okay. Okay. When we remember a thing, we actually recompose or reconstruct the full memory from whatever it is that we call up. Every time we remember it, we're, we're committing a creative act once again. And when you do that, 
sometimes differences are going to creep in from one remembering to the next remembering. Yeah, that makes me worried, like in, in terms of being um, like on, in a court case and you're giving a testimony and people either asking you if you remember what you remember, you probably aren't remembering everything perfectly. You're probably remembering it. Well, that's probably why they ask for a bunch of witnesses. Yeah. Because each one's remembering so. is going to be different than every other one's. Yeah, it always worries me. I, I mean, I hope I'm never on <laughs> in a situation like that because I'd be like, I don't know. I don't remember. I might, might be thinking of it wrong. But but you do remember. You're just going to recreate that. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't think that's what the court wants. Okay, so think about it. Um, we become filmmakers every time we remember something from our past. And story editors... We may unintentionally revise the script. We may move some background characters in or out of the scene, like they become more or less important. We could change the color of a thing and, you know, we could curate it differently. We could look at it from a different angle, like I was saying with my sister. So you're, right, you're looking yeah. at it lower or somebody else is looking at it higher, like a filmmaker. So Gosh, I feel like I've committed every one of those memory violations. Yeah, and cropping. What do you, you mean? You crop a person out. Like they they weren't even in your memory anymore of that particular thing. Well, there's a kind of a standing joke about when there's a there's a divorced member of a family about cutting them out or yeah. photoshopping them out. Uh -huh. You're talking about something it's like mental similar. photoshopping. Yeah, aye, aye. I know. Well, it's it's how our memory works. You know, I want to ask another question that, that has a little something like this. What if we don't have any photos or people or places to call up? Like, what if we just didn't have that at all? Or what if all we had was selfies? What, what, what do you mean? Well, I mean, <laughs> I feel like the movement in life now is that there's all these selfies. You're taking pictures of yourself instead of other people. Okay. All right. So, so... You mentioned the New York Times earlier. It's funny. This week, they ran an article whose headline was, we're pointing the camera in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And it was all about the fact that we have this, this uh, obsession with taking pictures of ourselves in places mm -hmm. more than the places or the people around us in the places. Yeah. I think that's a thing. And that it's causing, it's causing problems. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a thing in the past because that wasn't even possible. I mean, you couldn't have an arm long enough to do that, right? Point-and-shoot cameras were made to focus on an image about six feet away. Right. So you're exactly right about that. Yeah. You know, I have a guest coming on next week as we finish the series talking about the sense of touch. She's a fashion designer and the founder of a premium family-friendly brand of clothing called Joa Love, J-O-A-H-L-O-V-E. And I found her on Instagram because of something I saw. It was a video of her mother cradling the son, the designer's son. And she has him wrapped in a podigi, which is a traditional Korean swaddle. And she was rocking him and then sitting with him on a chair with her head resting on the back of the couch so she could rest as well because like she was tired and she wanted to rest. So she put her head on the couch. And it was so arresting to me. When I was talking to Ayung Stobar, this designer, she mentioned that she recognizes that she needs to be taking videos of her mother for a very specific reason. The onus, you know, is it on the grandparents at that point? Or is it like somebody in my situation? I have a mom and I have children. 
and I can do all the technology, right? Like, and how will these kids remember 10 years from now, these memories, like the grandparents could have done all of the, the things, but with the, the attention span being so short these days, will they remember any of it? You know, it, it, I, I think about that, like, what will they remember? And that's why I choose to capture like every little thing that my parents do, because I want them to see and the evidence to be clear how much they were cared for. When we talk to her in the next episode, you'll understand more about her and her mission, but I was just so impressed with her desire to honor her mom by creating these short films, um, one of which is the one I referenced. So part of her plan as a proud mother and Korean-American entrepreneur is dedicated to empowering other female entrepreneurs, but she wrote to me that, Quote, she owes her success in life to her mom and parents who raised her to have confidence in herself and an unmatched work ethic. And after spending most of her adult life in Los Angeles, she and her family recently moved back to Washington State to be close to her parents. And her new dream is to film her mom cooking her amazing Korean recipes and to capture as much footage of her parents as she can so she can treasure those moments forever. I think that's amazing. I, I really do, and I, I kind of, I, I, I kind of envy her because sometimes, you know, our kids don't necessarily want to take pictures of us or even videotape of us. Well, it's neat that Ah Young gets the importance of sight, yeah, and how it connects to memories. So here's a question: How do you intend to make this happen for your grandchildren? So I mentioned. Sometimes our kids don't want to take pictures of us, but let yourself be in pictures. I think part of this is my fault. I think in the past I've been a little vain or I've run away from that, whatever. I'm like, no, I don't like the way my hair looks or, oh, I just woke up. I remember when we were in Denver not too long ago, our son took a picture of me with our grandson and I was I was looking at it and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like my hair isn't even combed. And I thought I should have just let that be. I, I tend to do that and I feel really bad about it afterwards because really it doesn't matter if you think you don't look great at the moment. It's not important. Just let them take the picture of you. One of the things I want to do more of is point things out when I'm with our grands. Mm -hmm. So when they see things with you and they enjoy things with you, they'll remember them when you're not there. Yeah. Yeah. They'll remember you pointing it out. I specifically remember my grandfather holding up a buttercup uh, little flower and he would hold it under my chin. I mentioned this on one of our podcasts, but um, he'd hold it under my chin and to see if it reflected yellow under my chin and then he'd kiss under my chin. But I, when I see a buttercup, I think of him. He pointed out buttercups. He pointed out small trees. He pointed out things. And I still remember him when I see those things. I think our granddaughters will look at small aircraft and always notice whether they are high wing or low wing because mm -hmm. we've made a game out of spotting them as we see them in the air. Right. When we go to a, a restaurant, we sit outside and have a little picnic and talk about that. So that's fun. Um, and then also share your love of looking at things. So like photography, if you want to share your love of photography with them, that'd be great. Or by looking at family photos together or coffee table book photos or anything you like to look at, share that with them. So not just I'm not just talking about children's books, sharing that with them, but also just real pictures of real things that you like to look at. 
And by all means, keep evolving and keep growing. As we are growing older, you know, our eyesight, it's not always a given. And so, you know, seize, seize the moment, carpe, carpe diem. Yeah, it's important to keep your eyes open and be, a, be aware of the clouds, how beautiful the clouds are that day or the sunset or whatever. Make sure you're pointing those out to yourself. Like you're recognizing those things. And draw attention for your grands mm-hmm. so that they follow your gaze into the things that are beautiful. So that's the challenge for you this week. Next week, we tackle the sense of touch. We'll be posting a question for all of you and hoping you'll have some input about touch. Maybe a fabric, an earthworm, a pet, or even the soil, or a warm embrace. We will touch on all those things in next week's episode of The Grand Life. We'll touch on those things? Absolutely. see what you did there. (laughs) I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And thanks for joining us in Living The Grand Life. Next time on The Grand Life. What's most interesting, though, about my mom is she wasn't an affectionate person with that I remember growing up. Because in Asian culture, we're not like, I love you, giving hugs every day. But it's, it's, it's amazing how much, how, they, how people change because in her golden years, she's become so soft and so cuddly and so expressive with her love language. That's next time on The Grand Life.